Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Everybody Counts podcast. We're here to break down Bosch Season 7, Episode 7, titled Workaround. There's a lot of special stuff in this episode, so much to talk about. It was written by RHD detective and technical consultant on the show, Mitzi Roberts, and L. Johnson, who's been a who's been a longtime writer on the show. So they teamed up for this episode, and I think they did a fantastic job. It was directed by Alex Zakrewski, and we're ready to get into it. I've got Mike here with me. Hey, everybody. And Jay. What's up? Let's do this. Let's do it. Now, we're missing Pete tonight. He is celebrating his birthday. I think his birthday was Happy yesterday. Birthday, Pete. Happy 63rd birthday, Pete. I'm... <laughs> I'm so happy for you, buddy. Little podcast boy turned 63. That's right. <laughs> we miss you tonight, Pete. And he sent us a little bit of feedback because, you know, Antonio's in this episode. So he's always got feedback on Antonio. So we'll get to that later. And we've got some great interviews at the end of the podcast for you. Obviously, this episode has a lot to do with the Billets story. And so we pulled a couple of actors that played characters important to that story. Millie Lankford played Officer Stella Hunter, and she was one of the female officers that gave some intel to Grace about Norris and Leonard. And then we have the actor who played Officer Leonard, Hunter Burke. We have an interview with him as well. So it will be great to hear from both of them for this episode. A little bit of news this week. Everyone that heard, I hope you've heard, uh, we're excited to hear that there will be some Crate and Barrel appearances in the spinoff. They confirmed that both uh, Greg and Troy, the actors who play Crate and Barrel, they made some mentions of it on social media and it got everyone really excited myself included what do you think yeah, about that news. that's great news it is. Um, well, i mean actually i'm lying that is horrendous <laughs> news i need them in all 72 episodes of okay the it's just episodes. not enough yeah right. yeah i right. hear you well and and everyone's been saying they need their own spinoff but we've got to take what we can get and i you know i kind of feel like nope, the producers no, well no. i'm gonna take it but i feel like the producers couldn't say no I mean, they, they've heard the fans. Clamoring. How can you not have them? Seriously, how can you not? Exactly. Like, really? So I kind of, I suspect it was in the plan all along, but definitely with the, the fan love for these two, they'd be crazy not to include them as part of the spin So basically, it's really because of us that they're able to continue their journey and they should they should probably thank us i think that's us, what we're trying to say us meaning all the fans yes of all the fans tracy can you just go along with me one <laughs> of these times like really stop okay. stop doing the pc let's make everyone happy no listen <laughs> troy i know you're listening buddy i want my thank you all right you got 24 hours or you're off the next show i'm sorry I'm sorry okay the demand has been placed. Yes. Well, actually, Jay, I was thinking that yeah. you were saying it was horrendous because you were joking about them not being all the episodes. Right. I thought you were saying it was horrendous because they were going to completely overshadow Titus. I thought oh, that's no, where I, you I'd were be going. okay with that. No, I'd be okay with that. No, I'm okay. <laughs> I, I love those guys, man. They're like, when, when I grow up, finally, I'm going to be those guys. That's your goal. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a great, that's a great goal. Go for it. All right. Well, let's jump into this episode. We open on a somber note because Maddie and Harry are getting ready for Donna Sobel's funeral. They have some talk at home getting, you know, he's got his suit that he doesn't want to wear again because it's basically his funeral suit. Uh, Maddie's buffing his boots. We're talking about the weather. Harry, you know, says it should be rainy and miserable, but it's not. And that just doesn't seem fitting for a funeral. We see them at the sort of the reception after the funeral and they meet Donna's daughter, 
Bella and they have some conversation and she tells Harry how much he meant to her mom. And I kind of think, what's y'all's opinion? I kind of think that Maddie was going to rib him a little bit about the sweet things that she said about him. Do you remember the scene Mm -hmm. where he said, don't say it? How did you all, what did you all think he was referring to? I'll jump in. I think he was referring to when uh, he said said back that it was mutual, that, Mm -hmm. you know, he put a a spring in her step and roses in her cheeks. Yeah. So I thought Maddie was going to give him a little rib about, so you have a spring in your step and roses in your cheeks now? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she was probably referring to that. What about you, Jay? It's a missed opportunity. A missed opportunity. Total missed opportunity. And then we see them in the car heading back from the reception and the funeral. And Maddie's talking about maybe meeting up with Bella before she leaves town. She talks about the um, things that they have in common. You know, they've, they've both, both sadly lost their mom. So we'll see if they ever meet up again. I think it would be nice for those two characters to be friends. All right. Nice. Then we move over to some billet scenes. I think Mike's going to jump in and tell us what's going down at the jewelry shop. Yep. After the intro, we see Billets doing her part of the OTSBI, the Outreach to Small Business Initiative, talking with the owner of the Gift of Gold Jewelry Store, Andrew Patterson. And they're talking about tightening up the security of the store, that cameras weren't working they were broken so she said that uh, you want working camera with a monitor that customers can see when they're coming and going into the coming and going from the store mm-hmm. and an audible alarm with a panic button and the panic button was key is what she was telling Patterson because yeah. Billet says that he has a lot of like nice a lot of nice merchandise and she grabs a business card and says that earrings are her weakness and then Patterson shows her some earrings and says he would give her a nice price to which he responds with, for me, full price is a good price. Right. She takes his hand and leaves to go to discuss or talk with other businesses with the outreach program. So, yeah. So yeah, we get to see Patterson. Completely above approach. Yeah. He, exactly. Yeah. You know, so interesting. All right. Then we get to see Robertson doing a sort of a salsa dance there. Yeah, That's yeah. always fun. He's definitely got the swagger and Bennett's talking about it. He's dancing in. He must be happy about something. And he tells her that he has fingerprints on Charles Kip. Jay, do you remember where he got the prints? Like how they, how he was in the system? No. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not no I, it's been a while since i watched it's been episode. a while you just yeah. threw a curveball at me and no i don't remember i'm he sorry was, he was military police that's oh, you it could have asked me I, I i did my homework for this episode well you know i knew he's not prepared it, doesn't mean i'm not prepared. I, I knew you would know it so that would that would be that wouldn't be as much fun she likes <laughs> to throw me under the bus mike don't worry <laughs> I'm used to it. So yes. no turn on stone, Mike. No turn on <laughs> no stone. No turn on stone. Uh-huh. That's right. Yes. So he was military police. And man, isn't it just like disheartening when you hear about someone serving our country and then becoming a hitman? Yeah. It's like of all the stories <laughs> and all the backgrounds, it's like, oh, okay. He took a different turn there. But yes, they have his prints. They know where he's been staying, or at least where his, they say where his checks go. And uh, it's in Vegas. So they're going to take a little road trip to Vegas. And Robertson was extremely happy about the Vegas road trip. <laughs> yes, he was. And But Bennett was not excited about the idea of him driving. So she definitely was going to be the driver. I feel bad for him. I would let him drive. If he you wants would? to go on a red trip, road trip, 
Give me a call, buddy. I will let you drive. <laughs> so they're going to head out. He also, Robertson also talks to Harry on the phone. He's waiting on that burner to come back from analysis, you know, where he typed back on the gunman's burner phone. But uh, Harry's working on it, but don't have it yet. Back to uh, Billet. She gets an interesting phone call. You want to talk about that, Mike? Yep. Gets a phone call from her previous friend. I, I know we haven't seen her since, I, I don't think, season two. I don't think mm-hmm. we've seen Captain Mackin. Mm-hmm. Calls up Billets and Billets asks if it's because or it's about her complaint about the officers. And Mackin says that he'd rather meet with Billets in person to discuss what's going on. Yeah, sounds uh, sounds a little sketchy, but guess we'll we'll find out later in the episode. But yeah, kind of throws Billets for a loop there. All right, then we get some time with the chief and Captain Sarah McCurdy. She's back reporting on the file for the mayor. And she kind of goes through the findings with him. And I, I, I got to ask you, Jay, this is a good, good Jay question. Would you like to have, if you want to research something, wouldn't it be really nice to have someone like Captain McCurdy just do all the research for you and just sum it up? And do a good job too. And yes. a very good job. Yeah. Yes. I would, yeah. I would take that in. A, excuse me. <laughs> could you get blah, blah. Could you find me a mask to scare crazy with? I know they're impossible to find. Can you do that? Well, here you are, Jay. I found these three following options on Amazon for you and they're available within two days. Wow, that's a really great job you did there. Yes, I would love that. That's uh, that's a really nice perk for being the chief. I was like, it wow. Is. Yeah, it, it is. really is. Yeah. So she goes over it with him and it looks like um basically the the mayor was kind of giving out bribes, the mayor is I guess. a scumbag. Yeah. The mayor <laughs> is a scumbag. Mm-hmm. She paid a quote consulting fee to sort of a I guess they call it a dummy corporation that really turns out to be a payment to someone named Henry Myers, who is head of Federated LA Labor. So she's obviously purchasing his support. And that probably was the, the reason the, the file was opened, but it was closed. They, they didn't continue with it. And the chief asks why. And of course, Captain McCurdy is there with the answer. Apparently, they just didn't want to push the boundaries with it being her first term, being the first Latina mayor of and so they just didn't Terrible. proceed any further. But Terrible. Chief is going to proceed. He's definitely going to use that information. Get her, Chief. <laughs> you got this going to run with it. So then we see Harry having a talk with Detective Collins. And Collins was not aware that Pena was any kind of informant for the FBI. So they really have kept this under wraps. He was surprised. And so he thinks, you know, well, that's it. You know, you don't have a case. But Harry wants to talk with Trejo. He says he has something to show him. So he's asking Collins uh, to coordinate that. And then I think we move back over to uh, Grace later that night, meeting with Marsha. Yep. A very, very gorgeous scene, uh, uh, a night scene at the Griffith Park Observatory. Mm-hmm. I know that they... I, I don't know the name of the location, Scott. I know we I know we've gone through this before with like the Ace Hotel and stuff like that. Yeah. How they always find these great places to not only film from, but from a distance, especially the night scenes. Mm-hmm. Anyways, great scenery, great mm-hmm. uh, location. And Mackin's uh, first says, you know, sorry for all the cloak and dagger, you know, type of thing. But uh, Mackin tells Grace that there's been a serious beef lodged against her and it's not, or and, that, and that she's on the take and that it's not the occasional $5 latte. And Billets kind of goes, well, yeah, that would never be something that trivial. Right. Billets knows it's pushback from the officers, Norris and Leonard, that he's been looking into and Asked where the complaint came from, and Marsha Mackin tells her it was a civilian complaint. So that really mm, that you know, gets her. Didn't expect a civilian complaint. Yeah, 
And that was that scene. All yes. right. Yeah. So we got to find out who's behind this. It just kind of like it kind of threw her off her scent there. She was expecting it to be from the inside. Well, See, we head back over to here. Here you go. It, 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 is it just me or is it kind of sad how all this crap just doesn't even really phase Grace anymore? Like it doesn't surprise her. That's a good like, point. Yeah. It's just another day at the office. Here we go again. Yeah. Like, isn't that sad? It is sad. It's very sad. We need some justice for Grace. That's what we should be shouting. Justice for Grace, not Antonio's gotta go. But no, both is I digress. Both is okay, both are applicable. Yeah, well, we I head don't. back to, to Harry's house and uh looks like Maddie's moving out. She's looking for some boxes. They're talking about music. She knows what's playing. He's proud of her. He's proud of her for getting Antonio into jazz, even jazz on vinyl, <laughs> gathering up her boxes. So, yeah, so, I, I didn't quite see that coming. Did you all? I didn't. Did you no, I didn't see her. I didn't see her moving out because I, I know they did that at the end of season five when she was going mm-hmm. off to leaving early for college. College, yeah. And kind of yeah. how it separated the two of them. And so, yeah, I didn't see Maddie moving out this at this stage at least right yeah it kind of it kind of surprised me i was like out of nowhere um but they're talking about the money that her mom left how is she going to pay her share of the rent and that kind of thing and it's money for emergencies and she says it feels like an emergency so we're kind of understanding that this whole situation you know with the hit on her and everything obviously has impacted her tremendously but even to the point where she thinks she just needs to shake things up and make some bigger changes in life and think some things through so i think next day we see Harry. He does get the burner information and he goes, um, they look at that together. Jerry and Harry look at that together. And sure enough, that does have to do with Willie Dats. So it was the call was coming from Willie Dats in Las Vegas to the burner, to Charles Kipps with burner. Um, any other intel we need to share from the burner phone? Not that I remember. Yeah. It just basically, con- you know, confirmed and confirms know, what we were where, he, where he's located, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah, true. So, yeah, in Vegas. And then we get some more, another scene with the chief. So he's taking this information and he goes and has a chat with the mayor and just very calmly and confidently. Gorgeous, gorgeous. <laughs> I just love him so much. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tracy. Go ahead. No, you're right. He just, he's it's very impressive. He just lets her know that he's looking forward to the next five years. He's ready for a second term. He All he has to do is mention that name, Henry Myers. And the look on her face kind of looks like <laughs> she just saw a scary mask. <laughs> She's, oh, yeah. really, she's really surprised. And she's kind of, interestingly, kind of interesting to see. She's kind of speechless, you know? And she's she all, is all, speechless. Yeah. Caught, really nothing she can say. Yep. All season, you know, she's had these comebacks and been, you know, just ready with something to say back to him. And she just, she just, she's got nothing. So yeah, he, he heads out with a little bit of a strut and uh, it's, yeah, it's impressive. I'd like to take this moment to congratulate <clears throat> Mr. Irving for his <laughs> upcoming second term. Congratulations, sir. Congratulations. Then we see back at the station, we see Mank coming into Grace's office to talk about um, Norris and Leonard. He's got some files and information, but Beryl interrupts him and you know says, excuse me, but there's stuff going on in the parking lot. Someone's going through your car, he tells Grace. And so they head out to the parking lot. What's going on out there, Mike? Well, in the parking lot, well, first, before they head out to the parking lot, I like how mm-hmm. uh, Mank tries to stop Beryl and Crate yeah. from going out to the parking lot as well. And Beryl's like, out of the way, Mank. And Crate's like, after you, Alphonse. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Him to, to lead the way. And then uh, 
<laughs> when they get out to the parking lot, we get a uh, Bosch celebrity fan sighting, yes. Eliza Schlesinger, as IA Lieutenant Klotz. And this scene was done very well, if I'm not mistaken. Tracy, you also have some behind-the-scenes knowledge from Mitzi yeah. Roberts about the character of Klotz. Yeah, we've come to find out she shared that the character Lieutenant Klotz that um, Eliza is playing is based on her real-time partner and dear friend, Christine Klotz. So it's kind of an homage to Christine Klotz. So that's that's pretty interesting. There's always these little nuggets in the show with the writers and everything. Of course, with Mitzi being one of the co-writers on this episode, Mm -hmm. it's just neat how they pull in things that we, uh, we don't know that are relevant to real life. Does this mean that Mitzi's BFF is is framing billets? I need her number right now. <laughs> why is she in on this? Mitzi, why would you let your BFF do this? Oh, I need I'm to pretty talk sure, to I'm pretty sure talk. the name was an homage. Don't to cover for Christine. her. Yeah, no. She's under, she's under my investigation. Now. Yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, Christine Klotz is in IA. So I think she's in RHD. No. So no. I'm gonna get more info on this. You're, you're going to check it out. Yep. Yep. Gonna... Don't go too deep because we don't want to lose you for a few weeks if you wind up getting arrested by Mitzi or Klotz. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Mitzi's yeah. going to have you in handcuffs. Yeah. yeah, I don't know her BFF, but Mitzi does well, scare me. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, Lights in LA. But yeah. uh, anyways, back to the scene. We have uh, Crate Barrel and Mank backing up billets as she walks out yeah. aggressively to the parking lot. And they see two IA officers and the Lieutenant Klotz going through her, the trunk of her city ride. Mm-hmm. And when um, she goes to approach, Klotz is like, you know, stand back. You know, this is an official investigation. Grace asks for is the warrant, you know, and they're like, it's a city ride. No warrant is needed. And then uh, one of the IA officers hands a bag to Klotz with a box of earrings. Mm. And then that I think they found in the trunk, you know. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was actually carrying earrings, they'd probably hold it in the front of the vehicle, you know. Passenger think, seat, yeah. hmm. love box, somewhere a little bit more secure, maybe to hide it type of thing. But and when Billet sees it, she says that she's never seen that before in her life. You know, and Klotz says, well, maybe we should go inside and talk about it for a little bit. And then uh, just as they uh, as they starting to walk back inside, the camera shot goes to the two jackal officers, uh, Norris <laughs> and Leonard, looking on with smirks on their faces. Yep. And, and they're only just, what, 10 yards away, give or take. But, I mean, yeah. you see Mank kind of giving them the nasty eye and billets, mm-hmm. too, before she walks off. Yeah. And then Mank tells her as they're walking back inside, don't say anything without a rep. You know, so mm-hmm. Mank's always there to give good knowledge to his you know, fellow <laughs> officers and superiors, even. Yeah. He's great backup, great support. He's a good guy. Keeps a cool great head, guy. you know? He really does keep a cool head and all this crazy stuff. So, yeah, well, they're going to head back inside. We see Harry and Jerry having a conversation in the car, and we get the nod to the episode title here, Workaround. Jerry is saying, you know, how is this going to go any further as far as Pena with being an informant for the feds? And, you know, it looks like there's not much they can do, but Harry says he has a workaround the name of the episode and and jerry is not too keen on that he's like that you know sounds concerned especially when harry says he doesn't want to give him any details right now so it sounds a little little suspicious little shady you know makes us a little worried about what what harry's going to get into but then we head back into the station and billets is talking with cooper hate that guy man i hate him (laughs) 
Can I just I, tell you how much I hate him? You're not alone, man. You're not 100% agree with you because this scene in itself is enough for you to want to pull a Bosch and throw him through a window to. You know, <laughs> you know what kills me? Of, of, all, of all the TV shows, all like the bad guys that are out there and all, you know, like the, the serial killer who gets caught and he's like super smug and you, you want to reach through your TV and smack him. Like those guys, I like better than Cooper. <laughs> that's how bad he is yep oh yeah rough yeah what does he he have to say mike yeah cooper walks in saying that the uh that she's entitled to have a rep but she goes you know that she doesn't need one Mm -mm. he tells her there's an allegation of corrupt conduct lodged against her she asks who the complainant is and he tells her it's uh and he had to look in a file you know it's uh anders andrew patterson of gift and gold jewelry and she explains that she was on cooper's reach out list or that he was on cooper's reach out list and that she met with him the other day or the day Mm -hmm. before to discuss a security plan and that all that is that he seems sad of satisfied yeah and then cooper said that uh, patterson claimed she strong-armed him into giving her a pair of expensive earrings in exchange for enhanced police services let's hear that earrings from a store were found in her car billet said that she's being set up and that the earrings were planted and uh-huh. it's has Leonard and Norris written all over it. And Cooper just kind of leans back and going again. You're, you're obsessed with these guys. Yeah, you're, you're really going, going go there, there again. Yeah, yeah, you're going there again. And Billet says back, if I go there, you mean defend myself? Self? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, she's right. not really, I mean, she is taking it a bit, but she's also pushing back a little mm-hmm. bit, but you know. For sure. So Cooper, Cooper says he has to assign her to home duty and she doesn't like hearing that. She says Mm-mm. that she can work, you know, she can work from the station and Cooper says back that, you know, she should consider herself lucky she's not being booked tonight. And it's like, mm. oh, just mm. the smugness. It's like, Argh. I know. <laughs> so let's see here. And then uh, edit this out if it's not right, but uh, Billets is then being escorted to her office, right? Oh, I hated that. Other team. I hated that her being escorted. It just oh yeah, she's inside her own Hollywood station. She's yeah. being escorted by an officer to her own office. You know, mm-hmm. Creighton, Beryl, and Vega are standing there watching, and Pierce walks up asking what's going on. Which Beryl says the usual treason and effery. Vega walks away from the pack and goes right into Billet's office. She doesn't even stop to ask the officer standing guard, so to speak, if yeah. she can even go in. But Vega offers Billet's a ride home, or uh, she says first. Uh, let's see here. Uh, she tries asking uh, Billets what's going on, but she, mm-hmm. uh, Billet says she said, not, not here, not here, not yeah. here, not now type of thing. And Vega offers a ride home. Billet says instead she needs a favor from her and pulls the business card she got from the uh, jewelry store and hands it to Vega and says, look into this SOB for me. <laughs> yep, she's had it. She is absolutely at her last rope. And you thought you'd seen her at her last rope in the episode before, I think, is when I was talking in the restroom. Yeah. How, you know, after the Norris and Leonard were harassing her, her, his, mm-hmm. her girlfriend. Right. Way home after they had lunch. So it's like you think you think you've seen the worst. The worst. Yeah. Yet. Or the worst it, that could happen to her, and yet it just keeps going deeper and deeper. But she's still got that fire in her. You could tell that by the way she was talking. She wants her to look into this guy, and she's gonna she's gonna figure this out. I can feel it. Absolutely. And I'm just kind of curious. I wonder if Bosch was there. If she would have given the assignment to Bosch instead, and you know, with Bosch having all oh. these cases kind of hovering over him, but Vega was the first one in there. So 
Yeah. Maybe it's I mean, better that's Vega though too. Yeah. So I think Bosch she's pretty much has his plate full. I think uh, reaching out to a, a fellow female in this situation good is good. I mean, I, I think Vega we know can relate to some of what Billets has been through because she's even shared you know a story about her experience with you know misogyny and so forth. So uh, yep. I think I think that was a good a good choice. But yeah, that is an interesting question because she is so close with Harry, you know, and could go to him for anything. Well, we move away from that story for a little bit and we head over to Vegas and they're in Kip's apartment, they being Bennett and Robertson, and they have met up with Iverson, the detective that Harry worked with, if you can say it that way, yeah, really? um, in season two. <laughs> It was kind of a tumultuous uh, relationship, but eventually I think they ended on good terms there in season two, but that was another fun cameo and callback to prior seasons. So they're looking through Kips' apartment, trying to find anything that would indicate that he was getting paid for these hits. And sure enough, Robertson finds a little book under the mattress. He calls it a scorecard and he Mm -hmm. does have listed Uh, conversations or he has names of of the different hits and has Carl Rogers name in there right yep so they're they're, wasn't there a Maddie B listed as well in that yeah yeah they named off the different ones and yeah it's it's, yeah and because they have Franzen and uh, Chandler and Maddie B yep so they have that intel they can basically have enough information to arrest Rogers so they head over to that's house because they know that the, that the burner was calling him and they break the doors down and they start looking around and it doesn't take long before this time Bennett finds something. She hears dings from the kitchen and the computer is on and she sees instant messages coming up. And like, there's this whole conversation from Willie Dats, you know, and other people going on. And yeah, it doesn't seem very secure that way, but yeah, he's got it open. They can read all of his messages. They find out that he's not in Vegas. They're in Vegas, but he's not in Vegas. He's actually back in LA at Musso and Frank's Brill. So they, they say, well, we'll just wait for him to come back and we'll arrest him here. But Iverson, another callback to season two, he doesn't want to get involved with all this <laughs> and just ask if they will go ahead and have him arrested in LA while he's there. And uh, they, they do that. They have Harry's, Harry's still working on his workaround. So he has Edgar and Pierce pick up Willie Dats at the grill. And that's a fun little scene. Did you want to talk about that, Jay? No. I'm sure you enjoyed it. How can you not? First, you have this exquisite limousine driver. That's right. Who pulls up in a in a, a very freshly detailed uh, black SUV and uh, handsome fellow. I gotta yes. say, yeah, very very good looking gentleman. Um, <laughs> one day I'll look that good. And you know, he he pulls up and and lets Mister Dats know that here he is from his limousine service. Opens the back door. The guy's you know another smug guy. Must mm-hmm. must be friends with Cooper somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Starts to step into it, and then Jerry bangs him and says, yeah, you're under arrest, sucker. And they kind of run a little bit, and Dewan Johnson is there, and they're putting their handcuffs on him, and the guy's crying like, oh, it hurts, it hurts. And they're like, shut up, you idiot. And then the cops come in, and they take him away, and it's, like I said, it's exquisite. It's exquisite. I like the play-by-play. And you still talked about him being smug. Not only did he have the smug look, he says, you're late. And Jerry says, you're arrested. Right. It was beautiful. It It was was awesome. So, yeah, they're going to take him, head him into booking. So then we see 
scene with Hector Hernandez. This is a rough scene. This guy is already beat down emotionally, losing his wife and his daughter. He's been deported. He's trying to come back and just find some justice, find out what happened here. So he comes back to the apartment complex and talks to Senor Rupo and is trying to get some intel. Where's Pena? I need to see this guy. I, you know, I need, yeah. And just for uh, asking about his name, Pena's security's rolled up there and they chase him and beat him badly enough to send him to the hospital. Yeah, this um, poor guy, he can't win no matter mm-mm, what. Mm-mm. It's really, it's really sad and scary. And I got to tell you, I, I tell my husband and my son when we're watching that guy with the, his security guard with the little hat, you know, and the ponytail. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. I just yeah. want to, I just want to take my finger and flick that hat off of his head. It just makes me, he makes me so mad. I'm like, you know, it's not like I want to twist his arm or punch him in the face. I want to flick that hat off. I'm, I'm okay with that. But, you know, if you do it right, that's, that's a pretty scary thing, you know, cause you can punch someone in the face, yeah. you could you stab them in, in the stomach, but no, you're going to be like, plink. And then, you know, and if you have the right facial expression, I think I, you should, I can pull it off. You think? Maybe I should wear the mask and, and then yes, it off. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man. So yeah, that that that's a rough scene. But then we turn to a little bit nicer scene. June and Irv are celebrating the fact that they were able to bring their baby James home. Yeah, that's some good little, news in that episode. Yeah, some good news. And they got a little champagne. They're celebrating. And then Irv shares some more news. He tells her that what do you know? He's got a second term after all. And she's Ta-da. so happy for him. And like, how did this happen? And he, you know, he gives a nod to his powers of persuasion. And of course she agrees. She's familiar with those. And, um, but you know, you can see her pride and joy for him, but we all know how he got it. So I'm still proud of him. I don't care. I don't care. (laughs) And then we shift over to Antonio's apartment. Now this would be, Pete did share with me that he was sad that Maddie was moving in with Antonio. Go figure, you know, go figure Pete. But I, I would like, can you all do your best Pete impression of Antonio's got to go? What do you have for me? I'm going to try. Antonio's okay. got to go. <laughs> but see, he would he would get more riled up first. He'd be like, he I can't believe Maddie did this. And then she's just there like, so I'm here. I'm going to live here now. And here's the key. And you can live happily ever after. And no, Antonio's got to go. I like it. That's He'll probably that's add to that. Coltrane can't learn Spanish because he only knows English. Antonio's got to go. <laughs> Leaving his key under the mat at the front door. What the uh, hell is he thinking? Antonio's right. got to go. That's, that's right. Pete would tell us all the wrong things that Antonio was doing. Yeah. So, yeah, they talk about a custody agreement with Coltrane. That's pretty funny. Maddie just rattles yeah. it off. And uh, he's like, you're serious? She's like, no, they're just going to work it out. And, uh, you know, he can hang with Harry when he's not working. And Antonio makes a good point. Well, I guess he'll be here a lot because Harry yeah. is Harry's always working. Harry's always working. Yeah. <laughs> so and then we're back to Grace. She gets a call from Vega. She's at her house and she picks up the phone and Vega has some information. Yep. Vega found out that Patterson likes to beat on his wife and that she had to get a restraining order against him. And one of the conditions of that order is to turn in his firearms, which he has not done yet. So Billet says it gives him a reason to talk with him and probable cause for a search warrant, which Vegas said it was already in the works. But there was a bit more as well that Patterson was also issued a concealed carry permit a few years back. And when Grace said, well, that's not easy to get, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Vegas says, well, 
you know, you'll, you'll never know who vouched for him. Captain Cooper or Captain Dennis Cooper. He uses his full full title. Captain Dennis Cooper vouched for this guy to get a concealed carry per- permit. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So uh, do we skip to the jewelry store the next day then after that? I forget. Yeah, go ahead. Might as well. All right. Yeah. So Pierce and Vega, and I do like this scene because we didn't get to see this a lot in season six where Pierce and Vega are working a case, mm-hmm. working any case, but to help out Billets is just, you know, so fun to see. They're at the jewelry store where uh, I don't think we've ever uh, seen this character before, but a uh, detective or agent named Rick, you know, brings out a box, handguns in it that mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. that Patterson hadn't uh, turned in. I right. tried looking like on the x-ray to see if his name or actor would pop up or even the character in general, mm-hmm. and it didn't pop up anything. So I, I wondered if it way. was even real, uh, real law enforcement. Yeah, could have been possibly. So uh, Patterson had guns at the jewelry store and. And then Rick says that, you know, they found they're, they're going to book the guns and that Patterson is all Vega and Pierce's. So mm-hmm. Vega asked, you know, asked Pierce, you know, good cop, bad cop. And he goes, well, it's your case, your choice type of thing. And he goes, I'm feeling kind of a badassery today. I'll take mm-hmm. bad cop, you know. And he's like, whoa, stand back type of thing or, you know, whatever. And she's like, well, you don't think enough? You know, it's <laughs> like, no, you're way too nice. And it's like, ah, watch me. <laughs> watch me. And we watch saw, me. we've seen her be tough, but especially that scene in season five when they pull yep. up on one of Walsh's guys. And, and he even says like, there, it's like, I didn't think, or he even says something to the fact that I didn't take you for a badass type of thing. And she's like, yeah. I'm just getting started. Just back getting then. started. Yeah. Just yeah. We know. Started. We know she's got it. <laughs> yeah. So they haul him in to the station and they start interrogating him. They talk about how he's going to be, he's being booked for participating in a criminal conspiracy, making false complaints. And they talk about the length of the sentence could be. And then they start talking about uh, Cooper and that they know that Cooper helped get the I guess what the concealed carry permit or whatever they know he knows him and so they want him to spill the beans and he's like well you're not going to tell him are you and they're like we will if you don't you know and Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny but he gets he starts just spilling the beans on uh, his relationship with Cooper they're fraternity brothers and they've always helped each other out Uh, he complains about all the red tape you know in the city the things that he says to do for his store and that Cooper's already been for been there for him and he owes him, you know. And so he says that Cooper asked him, told him that two officers were going to come to the jewelry store and to give them the earrings. And they want a description. And they he describes them as like a young white guy and young Asian guy. And they, they assume that that's Leonard and Norris. I think that's a pretty good assumption. And it's all coming together, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Plus, I like how wide his eyes got when he saw Vega pull the cuffs. You know, it's like, oh, well, yeah. wait a minute here. Wait yeah, a minute. that was fun. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> so let's see. Officer Morgan calls Harry and uh, he goes to see Hector at the hospital and they have a, a very heartfelt conversation. And this just hurts again all over. You know, he met with Hector at the station and here they are meeting at the hospital. This guy is just beaten to a pulp and he just... You know, I think he says he just wanted to look Pena in the eye and, and he would know if it was him. And, you know, Harry promises justice, but then he has to leave. And we see Harry does go see Trejo in prison and uh, he shows him the pictures that they have of uh, Pena 
meeting with the feds. And, you know, he puts it together really fast that he's an informant and he is none too happy about it. So he's willing to talk now and, it, you know, and confess that they did get the order from Pena and Harry wants to run with that. And he talks to the uh, deputy DA Kennedy, goes there with uh, Trejo's lawyer and they try to, you know, get a case for it. And he says he'll think about it, but he, you know, I guess he's hesitant because it's just one guy that has a huge criminal background giving the information. So uh, he wants you know, corroboration with someone else, but they can't give him that because the feds also have Alvarez. So not sure what's going to happen there, but Harry is still trying. That's his workaround. He wants to have Trejo talk and uh, take him down that way. Then we're back at the station and we just have this lovely view of Willie Dats being dragged into the station in the handcuffs, placed on the bench, still griping and complaining. But we see some other folks come by in cuffs. What's up there? Yes, we get to see Leonard and Norris being handcuffed and what well, I, I guess you could consider it perp walk, you know, towards the exit of Hollywood Station and and Edgar, you know, doesn't know what's going on. Ask Mank, you know, what's, you know, what's going on? And Mank's like, a little bit of justice in an unjust world. And yep. Edgar asks why are they, or what they do? And Mank tells him, ask, ask Billets. <laughs> I like yeah, how it's kind of click. Ask Billets. So Edgar sees her up the hallway, goes and asks her what's going on. And she looks down the hallway and they both see Cooper being perp walked out of his office. And I noticed the second time I was watching it, he's not wearing his badge on his chest. They, they oh. took the badge off his chest. Because oh, he was still, he was in his uh, he was in his uniform. He wasn't. I don't think we've ever seen Cooper in plain clothes, you know, for the captain uh, mm-hmm. job. But I think we've always always seen him in a full uniform, but mm-hmm. the, always the badge on his chest. Well, I wasn't there not anymore. So uh, when Edgar asked her what's going on, she goes pest control. <laughs> It's the best. And then uh, Cooper gets close to Billets, says he'll be back. And she responds with, when pigs fly, <laughs> she tells Edgar, it's better than throwing them through a plate glass window. But I disagree with that. You know, <laughs> you want to see that too. Yeah. I would have loved so to have seen, seen her or Bosch or both of them working together and just throwing them through, through two pane glass windows. <laughs> Why <laughs> not? <laughs> yeah it's she stays so calm. She it's just victory. And it's just it's beautiful. I, I think we need to pause for comment from Jay here. He's been waiting for this for seasons now. Mike, what do dude, you have to say? Mike, I, dude, I like you, Mike. But how the hell you can go through that? Like, and then they walked him down the hall and he's arrested and Grace was like this. And blah. no, Tracy, right now, I'm, you're going to insert some like big band, like dun, 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 dun. And I'm going to say <laughs> Cooper's punk ass is out. And then I want you to insert a bunch of applause like. Shh. There we go. Yeah. OK. Because I like it. God bless like America, it. man. OK. I know fireworks going off the, the whole last season of the show. And <laughs> we're all about Bosch and all, you know, that. listen. Yes, it's a it's a tightest well of a world. But okay, <laughs> if something is going to happen in this show that makes it worth watching all seven seasons, this is it. This, this is it. That dude, I, I think my heart fell out of my chest. He was so happy. Like I had rainbows coming out of my ears. Okay. There was like glitter coming from my ceiling. I don't even know where it came from. It was the single greatest day of my life. Okay. Just. <laughs> I'm 
I watched this episode, I don't know how long ago now, but <laughs> just thinking about it now, yeah. I'm so old. I could go climb a mountain right now. I've got so much energy and adrenaline. <laughs> Because I am so happy this dude finally got his due. I hate uh -huh. that guy. He is a scumbag. You got it, sucker. Take that, Cooper. Yeah. Woo. Okay, I'm done. Hey, Tracy, I think you should edit in here a, a scene where Jay's climbing the mountain in Rocky <laughs> Four, and instead of yelling Dra Dra Draco at the top of the mountain, it's Cooper. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Oh, yes. dude. It's the That's greatest. a good visual. It's the I greatest. like it. I'm sorry. I, I can't help it. I'm I really mean, and I, I got to say, when I'm watching it, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. But I, I had to, th I thought of you, Jay. I mean, like, this is, this is, has been Jay's battle for oh, so dude, long. Man, for real. You know, like all the TV shows you watch and like, you just want certain, like you want characters to get together or like you hope, or you want this bad guy to be caught or like you even wish like, gosh, I really hope this TV show gets another season. And then you're so excited when it finally gets it. Or no, this <laughs> is the greatest moment in television. Yes. There, there is nothing better in the, I don't know, hundred years of television history <laughs> There won't be for another hundred years. Cooper, yeah, sucker. This oh, is the pinnacle of television satisfaction. I think we should give a round of applause for Mitzi and Elle for writing that scene. For real. Yeah, exactly. Man, I'm kind of tired now. Hey, uh, oh, sorry, to, sorry to undersell the, uh, the, the gravity <laughs> of the situation. It's, it's <laughs> the greatest moment of TV, man. Come on. Exactly. I just want to make it clear. Elle, Mitzi, Jay liked it. <laughs> <laughs> in case we weren't clear Jay loved two it. thumbs up <laughs> for sure <laughs> okay. fantastic i mean you really you can just kind of end the episode there i know we've got some some more couple more things to go through but i mean that was i mean just amazing but we do head back over to harry's place and it's kind of sad he's picking up the dog bowl and the Coltrane's water bowl and there's no need for him to be sitting on the floor now he's picking him up do you notice Patricia his song with Maddie yep. is playing and he then goes and looks in Maddie's room we get a little pan around the room we remember her sitting at her desk where she worked and some of her awards and stuff on the the wall and he turns out the light so you know that is the end of an era there with Maddie living in his house. As far as we know, if Pete has it his way, she'll be back in a couple of weeks. But mm -hmm. for now, she's out. And uh, it's, uh, I think it was very fitting and uh, a nice scene. You know, it was hard to, you know, felt bad for Harry missing everyone, but it was, it was really well done. And just as he's trying to relax, he gets a call from Collins. Not good. And Collins tells him that he got this sort of uh, cryptic call and that said that it's a no-fly zone with Las Palmas. There's a, a, a RICO bust about to happen. And like, just basically a warning, like, you know, stand down, do not proceed any further with your investigation or looking for Pena. And he says that it, he describes it as coming from the top of LAPD. And Harry concludes that it's a, an, an order coming down from Irving. And then the credits roll. So I don't know, man. We got a lot of satisfaction with the billet story, but Harry, whew, he's hitting another brick wall. So. Yeah, so many blockades being put in his way. Uh -huh. <laughs> For sure. For sure. 
Anything else that we want to mention about the episode before we go into the interrogation room? Nope. <laughs> no, I think I'm good. Jay and is completely I, I, satisfied. He I doesn't am. need to say anything else. I am. I waited <laughs> I this whole I, podcast just to get to that one part. Like I like good. it. I like it. Fireworks. All right. Fireworks. Who wants to who wants to share a question first? Any volunteers? How well, many days? First, how uh, many days will Cooper last in prison before he starts <laughs> begging to turn people in to get himself out of there? Before he starts snitching. Yep. I wouldn't oh. I'd say he wouldn't last a week. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. give him about six hours. Yeah, I'm getting like like Vincent Franz and vibes from from Cooper. He's gonna, you know, have lots of complaints, demands, and can't can't handle it. So yeah, I'll give him I'm gonna give him four days. I have no confidence there. He's a weasel. Wow. Okay. Yeah, wow, wow. you're days. giving him too much credit. I don't like you no more. Well, you were gonna give him a week. No, I gave no, him that week. was Mike. I gave oh, him six Mike. hours. Oh, yeah. six hours. That's all I'm giving him. <laughs> Jay and I sound alike. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have, now I have a real question. I have a real question, though. Okay. When is enough enough for Bosch? You know, like you you just said, like another brick wall. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when when is he finally gonna bang his head against this wall and be like, screw this? Maybe soon. Maybe soon. Yeah. That, actually, we got some feedback about a little bit about that. How just how progressively Harry's getting fed up with everything throughout this season. So. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think it's imminent. Yeah, he's because he's not going to he's, you know, they always say he's like a dog with a bone. Michael Conley describes him as relentless. I mean, he's just not going to give up. So and I, I don't I just think there's this deck is stacked against him. So it's something's going to come yeah. to a head. Yeah, I believe. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Did you have any other thoughts on that question, Mike? On his no, I think you summed it up pretty good. You know, it's okay. like you, you see him hitting all these blockades, all these. Mm-hmm all these red tape situations and yeah. you know, you, you have a feeling it's, it's going to, you know, come to a head eventually. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. All right. Do you have a question for us, Mike? Yes. I wrote down one and I know Jay would love to answer this one. <laughs> oh, How- I'm in. Hold on. Let me get ready. Let me get ready. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Since you, since you're a Cooper hater and I am too, don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, how did you think that Cooper would think he was going to get away with all this crap? He was putting billets through, especially in this season. Man, you know, I thought about that at one point. I don't know if it was early in this episode when the stuff was happening or one of the early, you know, how did he, because Obviously, the dude has a huge head and his ego is through the roof. And that that had to put the blinders on him to see, like, how this could fall apart. But like, I don't know, because Billets isn't Billets isn't a Bosch, but she's she's got that Bosch piece to her where, like, she's not going to let something wrong go. Right. Like, this Uh is this is not the person you want to make your enemy because she's not going to take it like obviously she could have she could have let go the stupid stuff on her car early on and just like shake it off whatever forget about it and move on but she didn't because it's wrong and she wants to do and so to escalate it like this i i guess his ego just drove him where he thought he's untouchable yeah it really i do i think it's his ego too because it's just like really you think that's not gonna you know be obvious or suspicious you know and he just he has that air, that smug air about him that he just can, 
he'll always win and nope didn't win this time and and you know something else too about this poor guy you know the actors out there who play like the bad guys on tv and somebody sees them on the street and they're like oh you're such an asshole or something because they played (laughs) that character and the actor's always like god it's not really me listen if i see this guy on the street one day i'm gonna be that guy i'm like i know it wasn't you but you're a scumbag okay you're just a scumbag you cannot convince me otherwise (laughs) (laughs) poor guy oh man well no definitely i have the feeling he probably is pretty nice in real life and boy did he give quite a performance he probably is the nicest guy in the world but he doesn't his evil just he does it so well it really, really the, was the, the very smugness, effective. you know, the yeah. smugness that's oh. portrayed on screen. You just oh. you just look at that and it's like you just kind of growl to yourself type of thing. So I apologize in advance if I run into you in an airport or you know, <laughs> I'm in LA and whatever, you're getting coffee. I'm I'm gonna come tell you. Jay's gonna tackle the guy. <laughs> <laughs> How are you out of jail? <laughs> catch you you know guys i i'm gonna pass on a question because i have to bring up another scene that i i skipped over and this was a big one we're talking about harry and he's reaching his limit yeah he confronts remember he confronts irving in his office yes oh yeah he wants to know how long he knew and of course the chief talks about the greater good and and all this and you know that's not harry's not having it you know he's not having it he's like this is a young girl her mom this guy lost them both and his only child and then he drops the the big one on irving and says you of all people should understand that you know but he's record- right i mean, I that's, mean a, that's a hard knife to turn i get yeah, that but yeah like he's right like it's a really tough scene because you do see where harry's coming from like he really that should be very uh, such a source of reference you know yeah. for him but it's also like the worst thing you could say to him. You know, it's like, how do you wrap your head around that scene? And of course, the chief, you know, very upset, sends him out. But that's a that's a really tense scene. That was some really good acting. Anything else y'all want to say about that one? No, same, uh, just to mirror what you said, incredible acting. Yeah. Because you, know, you hear that Titus and Lance are just absolutely wonderful people on and off screen. And, and yeah. then to see them kind of butting heads the way that they, they did in mm-hmm. the scene, it's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and friends, you know, I mean, like, it's just that, that's the, it's just props to the acting because, I mean, this is their job. This is what they do. But, you know, of course they can play these scenes. You know, they're very talented. But man, when you see a scene like that, you're just like, oh, how did you go there? You know. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So definitely, definitely had to to bring that one back up because we missed it. But uh, yeah, so he's not on a he's not on good ground with Irving and Irving's not happy with him. That just clearly a divide there for sure after that scene. And then, of course, he thinks that the, the order is coming down from Irving of that phone call. So. All right. Let's move into persons of interest. Who you got anybody? For this episode, hey, I, I feel like I keep going first. I'm gonna go last this time. Okay. Can you go last? Tracy, you want me to go first then? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll go first then. Um, I had a few people to pick from because obviously Billets was the star of the yeah. episode. So many great scenes. Amy Aquino did such an amazing job, not only in the whole series, but this episode. But I think I'm gonna give the person of interest to Vega for this episode mm-hmm. because okay. obviously Billets trusted her to investigate Patterson and how quickly Vega connected the dots, you know, her and mm-hmm. Pierce 
finding the uh, restraining order from his ex or his wife and mm-hmm. you know and just leading you know, all the tri- following all the breadcrumbs all the way back to uh, Captain Cooper. So I want to give the person of interest for this episode to Vega. All right. I like it. Very good choice. I'm going to go with the mayor uh, just because I was so fun seeing her speechless. And this was a huge turn of events. She almost like Cooper thought she had gotten away with something, you know, but indeed she had not. Irving dug deeper. So that was just a a really cool scene between the two of them where where she had no words. And so, I mean, it it was just very, and it, it creates, it had a really huge effect. You know, I'm going to go with the mayor on this one. She, uh, she was caught. She got put in a spot and Irving's not going to let her wiggle out of it. He's going to get his second term. Well, I'm going to go with the easy one and I'm going to go with billets because, you know, I mean, we all love billets, whatever, but this, Uh this episode from, you know, where I talked about it early on the podcast, like this poor lady, it's just, it's almost become like a day-to-day thing. She's got to deal with this crap. Here it goes. And it's just escalating, escalating, escalating. But she's got like, she's got the back. You mentioned Mank being a good guy and mm-hmm. giving the sage advice. And she can count on her people to make sure that she's okay. And they come through for her. And then of course, the greatest vindication of all, everything unravels, the two jerk cops, Mr. Scumbag himself goes down. Like, even though, I mean, you don't see her throwing a party, she's got like all that stress. Everything is just, yeah, it just it, it, and even yep. though tomorrow's a new day and there's going to be something else stupid that like today, she finally won. Yeah. She finally yeah. won. And so yeah. I have to give it to her. Excellent. And, and I love the way she takes the victory. You know, she's not flaunting. It's just so right. matter of fact, like, yep, finally. Because, because kids doing the right thing matters. You That's do right. the right thing. You will win in the end. There you Hear go. that loud and clear. Yes. That. A life lesson on the Everybody Counts podcast. <laughs> I, I will give a little credit to the show, Bosch. Hey, but, no, but yeah, we, we kind of pointed it out. I'm going to start muting you, Tracy. You're ruining all the things that I have to say. <laughs> oh, man. What about you, Mike? Do you have anything to say about, uh, I mean, I think Billets is a clear choice. Great choice. Anything else you want to say about that whole story? So just what you guys, I mean, like Jay was just saying, I mean, it was just so great to see her finally get that beast off the back. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, Captain Cooper, I think, was a pretty good beast over the last few seasons. So just to no see doubt. it finally, ah, justice done. Good. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what else can you say? It was perfect. It was, it perfect. Was perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And thank you to Mitzi Roberts and L. Johnson for writing that those scenes in there as well, too. So and writing it. Yes. Yeah, so well. So very well. All right. With uh, the evidence locker, I mean, things are kind of winding up as far as, you know, the we, we came full circle on the billet story and like we said harry keeps hitting the brick walls we you know finding that notebook in kip's apartment or house uh, that definitely was a big find the messages on dad's computer they were able to nail him so we got we got some good closure uh, in this episode but of course harry is the one that's still hanging out there trying to get some justice for uh little tamale girl and her mom and all the others that died in the apartment fire. So anything else you want to mention for the evidence locker or should we move into the tip line? I think we're good. All right. I think we're good. Yep. Okay. Let's see what we got here. We got some great feedback. First, we received an email from Laura. She says, hi, all. I'm glad you've been doing this for all of us faithful viewers. I'm a little behind on this year's show podcast. So forgive me if you've discussed the absence of Honey Chandler's faithful Hector. Considering the high profile case, 
and then her serious injuries, it seems out of character for someone she described as devoted. Also odd considering the nature of the wrap-ups as they did for so many characters. I I definitely see the uh, the line of thought there, Laura, for sure. That would have been really cool if he could have stepped in and if we had seen Hector that would have been a, a really cool cameo and, and tie-in with how devoted that character is uh in the storyline to Chandler but you know I guess I'm guessing it's just because you can't they couldn't get everybody but but that would have been fun what do you guys think yeah or not fun because she's really she's in dire straits in the hospital but I mean it would have been fitting I guess is the word yeah and it's always good to see those little callbacks or connections all right Mike what do, do you think you about Laura's thoughts on on it would have been good to have Hector in there what do you think I agree because that's one of the callbacks I was hoping to see not yeah. only just in season seven but season six as well because Hector Bonner was such a great character in season mm-hmm. five yeah you know, amazing yeah. presence you know but I'm pretty sure they'll hopefully say something in the spinoff to why he wasn't mm-hmm. around maybe yeah. working undercover for Honey Chandler but hopefully something gets mentioned where you know I, I yeah so always a chance he still pops up always yeah, maybe. a chance you never know maybe I'd be for it. I'll just put that out there. Yeah, me too. All right. We heard from Valerie who helped us out on the Crate and Barrel special podcast episode. Uh, She says, I will keep this short. I think maybe the most disappointing thing about season season seven was Gladys Rodriguez being killed off so quickly after so much buildup in the trailers about her being a female stringer bill. In the grand scheme of things, La Mayorista didn't seem quite so scary. She seemed to rely on Mickey's crew completely to be her muscle. And when she was in prison, she had enemies rather than friends. What do you think about that? Were you a little disappointed that we didn't have her more in the story? Yeah, like in the trailer, she was more prominent. You know, the main villain brought up in, mm-hmm. the, in the trailer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't think she'd be killed off so quickly after three three episodes. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that's what they're going for. You know, it, it, I see. I, I, I'm the opposite. The surprises. I like that. I like, okay. that. I like that because because I love those video editors that take all the stuff and put it together mm-hmm. to tease you and suck you in and make you believe something that's maybe kind of true, but not totally true because mm-hmm. you know, you, we, we do a, a trailer podcast or podcast to dissect it and give our guesses or whatever. And mm-hmm. so of course everyone's like, Oh, this is going to be some bad, crazy lady. What's going to yeah. happen. And so it throws you off going into the show. Yeah, You see like she's somebody from the get go. And then all of a sudden gone, it kind of forces you to be like, crap, what's really happening here? Yeah, so what's I going, like Who it. is the bad guy? Yeah, I like yeah, it. or yeah, girl. I like. mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and Michael Conley did mention in his interview that they only have but so much footage to work with to make the trailer at the time that they're putting it together. So I think I think it's probably partly that, and you know, it maybe could be to throw us off and and make that her demise such a surprise. You know, like what she's already gone. You know. I don't know. What do you think, Mike? No, absolutely. It opens yeah. up for, uh, you know, for Collins, the new guy, to be the main bad guy all along. Uh, no, <laughs> don't, you're, now you're filling in for Pete. Don't of go course, there. I got to fill in for Pete, so I got to have the Pete, uh, mm-hmm. what is it, the, the Pete conspiracy theories. There we yeah. go. Oh, yes, yes, yes conspiracy theories. theories. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good to see what Pete thinks about the mayor now, he thought. Yeah, we'll see. All right. We also heard from Merle, superfan Merle. She says, well, I have to tell you that I really enjoyed the scene in episode seven, which I posted in the Bosch pit. In typical, like old married couple fashion, Crate tells Beryl that what he said, no turn unstoned is a spoonerism. And Beryl retorts back that he knows what it is and that he did it intentionally. But Crate doesn't let it go and says it could be a sign of cognitive decline. And Beryl gives him a look and the middle finger. I'd really like to hear from the writers how they've been coming up with such funny and endearing interactions between Crate and Beryl. 
Is it mostly one person who writes those lines or do they brainstorm to come up with ideas? I sure would like to be a fly on their wall when brainstorming. I find it hysterical. Sometimes I find situations even funnier because I know Greg personally and also because I've come to know Troy through Greg. But this scene was just another spitting milk through my nose moment. <laughs> yeah, it was. they're always good. They're always good. And actually, we reached out to our writer friend Oso. Vasquez, uh, just if he could give us a little intel about her question. And he describes Eric Overmeyer as being the heart and soul of Crate and Barrel. He says, Troy and Greg bring their own flavor to the characters with each performance, but the humor and dialogue is really all Eric. Uh, he said, we writers may try and duplicate his style, but Eric has final say slash final passes on scripts. So it really is his unique sensibility that rings through. And so that was, that was very interesting or involvement Eric Overmeyer has with those two characters. I mean, I, I'm not a writer, but I, I definitely would say I, I don't want to make sure we don't sell the writers short because Eric, it sounds like he has so much to do with Crate and Barrel and does have the final say on the scripts. But there's just, I got to give props to all the writers because I'm sure they're coming up with <laughs> great stuff for them you too. See, and, that, and, that, and that's the thing about any successful show. Yes, we are fans of this show. And yes, we're going to say the actors did a good job and the writers did a good job and Eric Overmeyer does a good job. But think about it in this show, right? Bosch, <laughs> his own personality. Take the cheap crazy totally different personality mm -hmm. bill it's a different personality crate and barrel completely off the wall total left side of the room personalities right yeah and you got seven seasons all these episodes that whether it's the writer that did it or a different writer or a producer that put in a hey, mm -hmm. suggestion maybe or eric saying no change it to say this right mm -hmm. all those little intricacies between that's mm -hmm. like, that makes the show, think about it. If Crate and Barrel didn't have lines like that, mm -hmm. would we care about these characters as much? All right, exactly. Would, would we even care about the show as much? Even though, you know, they're not Titus Weller and Bosch, they're like a portion of this show that, like, you look forward to seeing what they're going to do. And it's because of those, those stupid little lines that probably take two hours to figure out the right way to say eight <laughs> words. <laughs> But it matters. It and does matter. I think matter. it's a good job, whether it's Eric or any of the right, like. I got to stop you right there, Jay. Every line counts or no line counts. <laughs> you know Very it. well you know said. It. I like that. I like but that. But it is true. It is, it true. is true. So it is. thank you, Eric Overmeyer, for bringing so much life into these characters and that the personality and everything uh, that they bring to the table. They, fans, we love Freight and Barrel. But yes, thank you to all the writers for all the contributions to them as well. Uh, we, like Jay said, it it's definitely has to be a, a collaborative effort. So that was, we really appreciate Oso getting back to us on that. He is a busy, busy guy. You've probably seen some posts on social media of him working on the spinoff late at night. I mean, the hours, I can't imagine how many hours they're working. And uh, so really appreciate him taking some time to give us a little more insight into into Merle's question. Awesome. Well, I think that's about it for a tip line right now, which moves us into trivia. So Jay and Mike, I'm going to throw it up to you as well. Pete left a question. Hey, before you, before you do Pete's question, throw something out there real quick. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. I just want to do something. So uh, everybody remembers probably, what was it? Two seasons ago that Michael Conley made the everybody count shirts that everybody wears, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. I still have an extra one that I bought in the bag that I've never been able to give away to anyone. So I have a trivia question to the listeners. Okay. 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 Uh, like we were talking about trivia and the credits and that kind of stuff. 
So this yeah. isn't even one they have to guess. They could actually go figure it out. I need to know the 40th name listed in the credits of this episode. If you email that to me, jay at so many shows.com, J-A-Y at so many shows.com, the 40th name listed in the credits, the end of season seven, episode seven. First person to send it to me correct, I'll send you the t-shirt. Nice. Well, that's a hey. Nice. That's I like a very that. cool offer. Check it out, guys. Send Jay some responses. All right. Well, I'm going to queue up Pete's question for Jay, but we have Mike with us, so we're going to give you both a shot at it. I can tell you up front, I wouldn't get this, but what is Charles Kipp's service number? Is N the service number? Of course, I didn't do a deep enough dive into trivia that Pete could come up <laughs> well, with. Well, and of course, it'd be numbers. Six two seven eight three two nine. I have no idea. I'm, I'm not there. eight six seven five three oh nine that's the one it has <laughs> to be, be. it has to be, be. for uh, showing what, our age what's the answer what's the answer two five four eight five five nine zero s eleven oh so close oh, i know we were just right there right there all right jay did he send you one for uh, he for- did send one for you guys um and it's about mr kipps again oh boy what's his address <laughs> <laughs> okay we got the city and state can you give me at least the zip code come on zip code i don't know the zip code for vegas how <laughs> about the street name not even the number give me the name serial killer lane no it is a lane but it is ah, not serial killer lane all right we're breaking this down it's kind of like an investigation come okay on, come on come on it's like an escape palm. room for every clue we get yeah we get closer to getting out of the um, question. how about palm lane no but it does start with a p all right Ooh. okay okay yes um, pete lane no no <laughs> it is it is a type of bean pinto lane Oh, yes. Pinto Lane. All right. We're very good. Now, the street nice. number is four numbers. OK, all of them under the number seven. All right. OK. Give, give me a guess. Me One, four, three, six. You got the last number. Correct. The last number is a six. OK. OK. So come I'll on, say Mike. Come on, Mike. Four, three, three, six. Uh, no, we're not doing so well here. Uh, <clears throat> we only got the six. Two. Yes, yes, yes. Nice. Yes. Two, three, five, six. No, you're three blocks off. Come on. It's two and six, right? At the front and the end. Two, seven? Yes. No, 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 no. It's no. less than seven. They're all oh, less than seven. Two, two six, six? Yes, six? yes. Two, six, what? Two, six. Six, six? No, no. It's no. Two, six, four, six. Two, no. six, four, six. No, go lower. Two, six, two, six. No, you're still a couple houses too far away. Two six one six. No, you're still a little too far away. Two six four six. No, now you're two, getting six, even four, farther six. away. No, <laughs> you said it starts with two and ends with six. Yes, uh, two six oh six. Oh six. Two, okay. six. Oh, forgot the zero. If you guys were cops, you would have gotten there way late. Okay, way late. Just throwing that out there. Two six zero six. <laughs> Pinto Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada. Something, 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 something. Yeah, zip code. <laughs> hey, oh, I, I, I was, I was uh, pleased with the Pinto. That was pretty impressive, Mike. Yeah. yeah well, like Jay it. gave or Jay gave the the bean tips. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. Pinto, Pinto bean starts with bean. P. All right, what do you have for us, Mister Bosch Trivia? Ooh, I got a whole slew of them here. Do you want me to go full kind of uh, Pete to you guys, or can we can we get the non non Pete version? <laughs> non Heat version. Okay, I'll have something yeah. very pretty. Give us easy. something middle of the road. Yeah. 
middle of the road. Yeah, we okay. want to feel like we're smart. Mike. Like we have a chance. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, how many guns were registered to Patterson that were found in the shop or in the jewelry store? Four. Five. Nope, you're both wrong. They found a total of three guns, but only two of them were registered to Patterson, and one had the serial, had the serial number rubbed off. off. Yeah. Yep. I remember the serial number. So three? So, okay. Yep, so three guns were recovered at the store. Uh, let's see here. Ooh. Eh, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll do another jewelry store one. So when Patterson grabbed the earring display to show Grace to try to sell her yes. earring, yes. how many pairs of earrings were on that uh, wooden display? Six. Seven. Nope. And no. What do you <laughs> mean? Higher. More? Nine. Nope. Fifteen. Lower. Twelve. You, you talking about in the little thing that he pulled out? Yep, little yes. thing that he pulled out. The little tray? The little tray he pulled tray out? Of, the little tray that he pulled out had 12 sets of earrings in it. 12 sets? So, yeah, I didn't think it was that many. Wow. I know. I paused it and counted. Then I, when I kept going. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to back it up just to make sure it was 12 <laughs> and not seeing double or anything. <laughs> if you didn't have to pause it, I'd be really impressed. But, uh, well, I mean, yeah. it, it kind of goes by a little bit quick, so I yeah, had to kind of yeah. pause it. Plus, I was pausing it for the uh conversations that were taking place too yeah let's see here okay here's a fairly decent one for you and this will mm-hmm. be the last one okay. the rest i'll save for future Bosch trivia down there the you road, go yeah which i actually want to point out i am almost going to be wrapping up phase three in the next few weeks depending on when this episode airs Okay. Um, to my post uh, tomorrow's, there'll be four more weeks after that. And then I'll be taking a pretty extensive break, but I will be posting a weekly Bosch trivia question nice. on Saturday mornings for okay. people to still at least get a taste. But I need a, I need a break from the yeah, daily sure. trivia. Yeah, yeah, you do. So plus You've football it, season starts up pretty soon. So anyway, so here's the uh, fairly decent question okay what time was willie dad's going to be picked up from muso and frank's from la limo it's four or four thirty which one are you gonna i was gonna say three so i'm gonna choose whichever one you don't choose all right four i said four thirty tracy you got it right four thirty was the time we picked up for muso and frank's hallelujah i I like how the uh behind the scenes pictures come into play with uh with when you see the episodes actually on air is when i i think conley posted a picture when they were filming uh-huh. outside of muso and frank's oh. you saw a patrol car in the parking lot i think they were filming that scene where they're oh, locking cool. up willie yeah. bat okay so yeah cool. good job tracy 4 30 was the correct time um, i mean you know one I'm out of ten is not I'm, too bad i need to interject <laughs> because i need mike to lose mike <clears throat> Mike, yes. how you doing, buddy? How's everything going? So far, so good. How about you? Oh, good. It's great, man. You love that jewelry store scene, right? Let me ask you a question about that jewelry store scene. At what point, I mean, at one point, he pulls out some earrings to show billets, right? Yep. Do you, you remember how many were in were in the thing? Do you remember? 12. You remember? 12. Very good. Now, of those 12, how many of them were yellow gold? Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to say five. Fuck. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I quit. I'm I'm out of this podcast. I'm done. Is that right? You can't you can't get him. You can't get him. Yeah, man. It was five. That's, that's nice. He's got that pulled up in front of him or something. And just wow. to be truthfully, I, I probably honest answered that like most people do on trivia or on Twitter and Facebook, where they just kind of throw out a guess. So, yeah. <laughs> at least I guess, give man. multiple choice. At least well, I give multiple choice so people have a shot. You know, you knew it was between <laughs> one and twelve, so you know. Exactly. Whatever. Thirteen. I'm, big I'm not, ta- 
I'm not talking to Mike anymore. <laughs> oh, come on, Jay. We have fun together. You know that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. All right. Mine's really, okay. I'm going to say it's easy. So what year was the store opened? The jewelry store. Oh, dear God. 73? No. Oh, wait. Hold on. 67. Mm-mm, lower. 66? 65, mm-hmm. 64, 63. <laughs> this game sucks. Yeah. <laughs> 1949. What? 49. Oh, God, I mean, it may not have been his store that long, but the, yeah, the. Right. Okay. Because yeah, I was trying to do the do the math on how old Cooper and this guy probably were. Oh, yeah. You know, so, but yeah, it would have been way off even then because maybe he took it over from his uh, family or, or, or mom. Or, yeah. Yeah. I just, I had written, that is one thing I had written down because I was like, somebody's going to ask that along the way because it was a number. Saw it on the sign. I didn't, I didn't even have that one written down. I had the, uh, let's see here. What brand of champagne did Irving open up for him in June? Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, so I don't know that idea? No, and I I can only remember even seeing like the top part. I don't even remember seeing yep, like and it. It has the logo right on the top. It does. So it's uh, Moet and Shandon or Shandon. Oh, oh. I was just looking was at the glasses. The... Yep. So. <clears throat> All right. Well, that yeah, was yeah. fun. That was some good discussion. Some great closure for billets and now we've got some great interviews that relate back to that story with uh mildred millie goes by millie a lot langford and hunter burke so we are getting officer hunter and officer leonard so you get to learn more about them and how they play their roles so stay tuned for that and we'll be back for episode eight the finale of season seven thanks for joining me guys and i mean i even thank you for the masks really (laughs) we do what we can tracy we do what we can (laughs) all right bye everybody everybody. hi there hi so nice to meet you face to face sort of yes (laughs) kind of (laughs) as close as we can get right now yeah i'm tracy with the everybody counts podcast thanks oh nice to meet you Thank you. Thanks so much for for joining me and um, being willing to talk about your role on Bosch. Yes. Um, We saw you in quite a few scenes, so I have have (laughs) several different questions. But first, just to to kick it off, everyone has been waiting so long for Captain Cooper to be taken down. You know, we've known he's just a bad guy from early on, and we've just been waiting (laughs) for him to get his just desserts. And so you were a part of telling that story this season with giving, you know, some intel to... Yeah. <laughs> How does it feel to be a part of that storyline? Do you think about what a cool storyline that is to be a part of? Yeah, I think, you know, because I think if you can be a part of, I think, some sort of justice. Yeah. I think there's always a rewarding feeling in that, that you are a part of bringing somebody, I'm going to say down, but I think putting somebody in a place where where people understand that they aren't the, the person that they, they should be in this position. Right. So accountability. Um, yeah. Accountability. Yeah. And especially during a time, you know, that we're in where accountability is so strong, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, people really looking for that. And so, yeah. yeah, to be a part of that, I think is, is quite exciting. And Amy, Amy's character really wanted us to be a part of um, another scene as well, because she okay. was like, you, you all were really a part of like sort of bringing this to our attention. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was a moment, I think it was the last scene that my uh that my partner and I we actually 
written into that. But Amy felt that, you know, we should still be a part of, I think, the the continuation of that till the very end, because we were, we were part of bringing that to her attention. Um, right. So I thought that was really cool. That So are you referring to the scene where you guys are in the background watching? Yeah. 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 I don't think I've... <laughs> I don't think I picked up on it the first watch through, but then the second time I'm like, oh yeah, there they are in the back too. Yeah, yeah, know, getting, cool. get, yeah, getting to see that all kind of come to fruition. So I thought that that was really cool too, that she was sort of a cheerleader for that. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. Really, wow. really cool. We, we love her on the podcast. All the fans do. Did, did you get much time to know Amy Quino? Oh, uh, yeah. We actually got to talk to her quite a bit when we were all on set together. And she was a wonderful person, really engaging. And we all, she and her husband is from Arlington, Virginia, and I'm from Alexandria, Virginia. And so we kind of talked about that a little bit. But yeah, I thought she was extremely warm, extremely engaging, and just a really cool person to talk to. Yeah, for sure. Well, not as close as Alexandria or Arlington, but I'm from Richmond, Virginia, originally. Okay, so, not too far. Yeah, not too far. Yeah, no, I've trip. spent a lot of time in Richmond. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, so you worked on, like I said, so many different scenes that were pretty pretty epic. Like the you worked with La Mayorista mm-hmm. scene when that you were searching mm-hmm. the apartment, um, mm-hmm. found the gun in her purse, and then, of course, yeah. the time with Lieutenant Billets. And so, you know, in that uh, first, one of the first scenes early on in the meeting with uh, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Thorne. Yeah. So that's where we first saw you, I think. Did you have a favorite of the different places that you filmed? Oh, I think it was when we were at the apartment building. Okay. When we sort of take La Mayorista down, you know, when we come for her. Because I, it was my first time sort of doing, being part of a stunt, like yeah. being in the police car and kind of just how we like sped up and kind of met each other. I yeah. had never experienced that before. So it was really cool being in the car with a stunt driver and just like swerving around the corners. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> I think that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the highlights, but I think, yeah, shooting there at her apartment and just kind of doing things that I've never done before, you know, holding a gun and learning how to do that properly. And, you know, talking to the captain who was on, you know, the retired captain who was on set and uh, who was really helping us, you know, this Mm -hmm. is how you hold it. This is what what happened in this situation, like, Mm -hmm. you know, going through her purse and him kind of explaining what you and your partner would do in that situation. So yeah, that was a lot of fun, but riding in that police car, because I'd never done that before either, and kind of just swerving around that corner was was a highlight. <laughs> now, you were partners, I guess, with the character... Terry. Okay. But who was driving the car? Were they dressed as an officer? or you They were them? dressed as an officer. I don't know the gentleman's name, mm-hmm. but he was the stunt driver, and I think he, he'd been in a couple of... He'd been sort of off and on okay. within the different seasons. Okay. I guess as maybe a stunt, a stunt driver. Okay. I unfortunately don't remember his name, but I think he'd been on the show quite a few times. Okay. So you had no reservations about doing the, the car scene? I didn't. I was okay. very... <laughs> like I was in... You wanted it. I was in good hands. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Now, were you guys actually in that apartment building or was that a set on the interior? No, we were actually in the apartment building that they had sort of, uh, yeah, a location manager found and mm-hmm. uh, we actually shot there. And then I think they maybe blocked off one of the floors. That okay. We, well, yeah. that's cool that you were actually on location. I, it does seem like they do that quite a bit. And I think that adds mm-hmm. to the to the authenticity. Yeah. So you said you'd never held a gun before. It was on the day learning. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I don't even 
think I realized I was going to be doing that until we got to that scene. And I was like, oh, because, you know, you have it on like on our our wardrobe. That stuff is all in like the pack that we wear. Uh And then just to find out that I was actually going to be using it was new. I was like, but Tim had nothing but great compliments. He's like, wow, you know, you (laughs) you got that down. And also being candid. Yeah. Okay. so yeah, but he was really cool and just kind of talking me through it. Um, okay. Yeah. Did he tell you at all about how to kind of carry yourself or did you just have that down, like your walk and your approach? Yeah, he didn't really get too much into that. It was really just kind of like how to hold it, like when you pull it out and things like that and how to hold it. And okay. then he kind of walked through, you know, how you might do if you were sort of walking through and I don't know all of the, the correct terms, but <laughs> it's the scene where we're walking through the apartment and we're sure. kind of scouted out, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Doing some reconnaissance and okay. going about it. What how you and your partner would would, would, would maneuver mean, through. Would maneuver okay. That. okay. Very, very cool. Well what about the uniform? Um is all the stuff, you know, in the kit that you around <laughs> your waist, was it heavy? It's a little weighted, but not too heavy. But what was funny was trying to figure out how to adjust your arms, like how to to sort of set your arms (laughs) where you feel relaxed. Right. Not (laughs) like your arms are just out here. Like this. Yeah. And uh, when you're having to sort of like, because I felt like in that scene with Amy and my partner where we're kind of behind the building and I kind of have my hands on my belt. I was like, I just don't quite know how to hold my my hands, my arms. So I feel, I feel when I was watching, I was like, do I look awkward? Because (laughs) I never noticed. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) No, not at all. But I'm trying to think, where would you put them? Is there any place on the the belt to kind of rest your hands? Yeah, you just kind of find a place to kind of set it. I mean, you have pockets in your pants and stuff, but it's kind of hard to to do that. So they, it seems like they just kind of rest them. They find a spot and and rest. (laughs) And you have to move around pretty quickly in some scenes. How the shoes the shoes were comfortable they're kind of oh, like good. almost like combat boots oh, okay and they're, and they're a little weighted too okay. but um they weren't uncomfortable but okay. they do kind of and i think you know with wardrobe you know they always try to make things as real as possible but you know sometimes with wardrobe since we're not actual you know the actual people that sometimes mm-hmm. they can they can do little tricks to make them okay. <laughs> more comfortable a little more comfortable a little sure. more comfortable, easier, easier ways to get things on and take them off and, okay. and okay. do little tricks like that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Anything that, that would help for that. Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, at the end of the season, Maddie Bosch decides to pursue the police academy. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering, what would you think your character, what kind of advice would your character give to Maddie Bosch as she looks into becoming a patrol officer? Wow. That's a good question. I think, well, I think it's, it's. It's nice that she sort of has had that role model, you know, just in her father and mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, how her father may have assessed situations. I think, you know, always doing her best to be, I don't know, I guess mindful when she's going into a situation, I think, because I think it's tough being a police officer, you know, sure. it's not an easy job. And I think it definitely takes a particular skill set a particular mindset. And I think just always finding ways to sharpen those mm-hmm. so that when you go out and you're having to, you know, bring people down or things like that, that you're always in a mindful place of what's happening so that you're not reacting out of 
a knee-jerk reaction, Mm -hmm. but you're really Mm -hmm. reacting because this is what this particular circumstance requires. Right, right. That's interesting because I I think there might be a scene somewhere where she talks about how her dad is always observing. So that that would would make sense that that'd be something hopefully she would would pick up from him. So yeah. I don't think that's solid advice. I like it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I guess when I think about, you know, just the world in general now, you yeah. know, that that's kind of what I always wish for when mm-hmm. those kind of things come up in their interactions with police officers, that it's not always this knee jerk reaction. Yeah. And sometimes, and I, and you know, honestly, sometimes they may not even have that because things sometimes are happening so fast that you're having to, you know, it's yeah. either, it's a, a me or you situation. And right. I would like to go home tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but if if there's ever a moment where you are able to kind of really assess what's going on and really uh, keep make, a cool head. Yeah, yeah. About you and not just reacting out of some sort of training that you had, but it's really because you've assessed the situation first. OK. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, is there anything we sh- that you're working on that you wanted to share with us? Or Yeah, really excited. I just shot the first short film that I've written. Oh, wow. Yeah, that I'm really, really excited about. So we're doing pickup shots on Sunday, and it will be completed and then going into post. But really excited about that. Yeah. And so... What came first, the writing or the acting? Or have they always been together? Oh, no, they have not always <laughs> been together. <laughs> okay. uh, the acting definitely came first. I have been acting since I was 14. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, and then ended up studying in college and then doing a program in Chicago where I lived for almost 10 years and then moved out here in 2016. And then writing sort of took off more when I got here. So I've written some things and this will be the second thing that I filmed, but but a bit more of a bigger project for me. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, so really awesome. excited about that. I think that's the next biggest thing on my plate. And then, uh, yeah. Well, you, you grew up on the East Coast and now mm-hmm. you live on the West Coast. And there's a lot of people that like to say West Coast is the best coast. What's your opinion? Having well, I I'm an East Coast baby, so <laughs> I'm I'm East Coast uh, all through and through, and so I will always love the East Coast. But I do, you know, and and living in the Midwest too. Yeah, I just I just couldn't do with that weather. That that oh, mid that yeah. Chicago that Chicago winter is brutal. Yeah. I've always wanted to visit there, but I'm like, I don't even know if I could manage through a visit because I don't do well with cold. No. So I hear but the warning. Go, yes. But if you go in the summertime, it's a beautiful city. Okay. I mean, it's it's a beautiful city, but go in the summertime. Okay. Okay. Yes. Good <laughs> yes. Well, we've been asking a little bit of a silly question to everyone at the end of the interviews. So are you, first, are you a coffee drinker? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, then <laughs> this will be an interesting answer. Um, I love cocoa, though. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Hollywood Station, I don't know if it came up in the script or scenes that you were working on, but the Hollywood Station has a reputation in the show for horrible coffee. Everybody's always complaining about it. So we're asking everyone if you, Millie, had the opportunity to change over the coffee situation to improve it and money was not a factor. You know, there was no budget or anything. You could do whatever you wanted. How would you solve Hollywood Station's coffee problem? Oh my, I think I would bring in a professional. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always believe in bringing in somebody who can, who can do it right. So mm-hmm. if we have to get a whole station set up where there is a, a roaster, uh-huh. <laughs> someone 
is professionally making the coffee every morning. Wow, okay. I'm all about it. There's no money. There's no limited money. Yeah, no. Bells and, bells and whistles. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. That sounds good to me. You got to get the experts in there. I, that's what I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Experts in there for the coffee <laughs> so the officers can do their thing. Their job. They're good right. at it. Yeah. Yes. We have to help each other. Yes. that's right that that's a good answer i like it we've had a lot of fun answers so i'm going to try to pile them all maybe in a post or something and put it out oh yeah people vote on their favorite because it's been all across the map so oh has it okay (laughs) well thank you so much for taking time to to chat with me and give me some insight into what you did on the show it was very interesting. Yeah. Like I said, you were you did a lot of different things. So it was I'm happy yeah. for you that you were exposed to so many different types of scenes. Thank you so much. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun and getting to work with Titus and and Hector and Amy was just a really cool experience. I mean, overall the experience was great. Just mm-hmm. everyone on set from the directors to the crew and the cast, just a really really genuine group of people. And That's so, good to hear. Good yeah. to hear. And now you can add police officer to your acting resume. I know. I know. So, I, know. I was hoping to get a ride along in before oh, shooting so that I could yeah. get that experience. So yeah, next hmm. time. Next time. <laughs> That's right. Next goal. So next All goal. Right. Well, thank you so much, and you take care, and we'll be keeping an eye out for you. Thank you so much, Tracy. Nice talking to you too. Bye. 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 Hi there. Hey. Thanks so much for doing this. Of course, Tracy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So I'm part of the Everybody Counts podcast, and uh, we talk all things Bosch. So we go with his creed, everybody counts or nobody counts. So just thought that was a good way to honor the show. <laughs> I love and that. Then we figure if we don't always agree with each other on the podcast, everybody's opinion counts or nobody <laughs> counts. So that goes as well. So let's just jump in. Tell me about your audition for Bosch. And was it specific to Officer Leonard or more generic? What did you know about when you went into the audition? Sure. So uh, I auditioned for it in October of 2020, which, you know, was kind of still mid-pandemic. And so as you would imagine, most of the business had shut down to kind of... uh, get back on its feet to, to try to figure out what the protocol was going to be. Right. And so it was the first audition I had gotten in a while, in a couple months. Uh, and when it came across, it was for specifically Officer Leonard. Okay. Uh, and that was great because I think the breakdown said something about, you know, Officer Leonard, he uh, misogynist who mouths off in a briefing. And I was like, great. This is fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Um, let me ask you, you had put something really cool on Instagram at one point about your roles. And that I, I tell me if I'm right or wrong. You talked about giving a hundred percent, I guess, to every role, no matter if it was a big role or you thought it was a, you know, exciting role, like you treat them all the same. Like you give everything to each one. Is, is that kind of what you expressed in that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll, I won't speak for all actors, but I, I'd like to think we all try to do that or at least make that kind of uh, point a when, when breaking down characters, because that is the job, you know, justifying yeah. every character, no matter how hard or easy that may be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's, it's not worth my time as an artist and it's not worth the audience's time as a viewer. If I'm not giving everything I have, even even from the smallest one line to, uh, you know, to the series regular. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, well, it all hinges on how much you put into it. 
Sure. Well, that really resonated with me when I saw that on your Instagram. And I, you know, I don't know that everyone approaches it that way, but I think it, I it was really cool that, that you do that. So, well, have you ever played a police officer before in any of your roles? I have, but it was quite okay. a different experience. Uh, it was for the TV show Scream that was airing on MTV yes. a couple of years mm-hmm. back. And I'd say vastly different from the Bosch set and experience because with Scream, it was, you know, they were teeing me up to be the latest victim. Uh, and so it was less about <laughs> procedure and more about, you know, how, what is the gruesome way we can kill this, yeah, this poor yeah. son of a gun? And so that, that experience was, uh, you know, at, at very least I had some experience putting on the uniform, which you know doesn't take much other than getting acclimated to the belt and the, uh-huh. uh, and all the gack. So, um, but with Scream, it was great because it was a stunt involved and uh, I have a oh, long cool. time friend of mine who's who's double for me he's a driver and so okay. he got to wreck into a giant giant telephone pole for that oh really wow wow yeah about that well speaking of you know portraying a police officer and trying to you know probably get more of that authenticity in the Bosch role did you work with Mitzi Roberts or Tim Marsha the consultants at all to learn some tips you know uh, full disclosure we shot during COVID and so everyone right. was wearing a mask at mm-hmm. one point Mm-hmm. Uh, well, throughout, actually. Um, yeah. Which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But that, I, I do believe meeting Tim, I don't remember if he was on set every time. And Mitzi, I, I full, you know, full disclosure, I don't remember seeing her. Yeah. I'm sure she was there, but there were just a lot of people masked. A sea of masks. Um, yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, but I do, I believe it was Tim the first day we shot, okay. which is that debriefing room. Mm-hmm. I had rolled, I had rolled the sleeves up of my uh, my uniform uh, mm-hmm. because you know I figured Leonard, you know, probably the kind of guy who's a little bit of show off and wants to buck the system a little bit. And I remember Tim coming over and he looked at my rolled up sleeves and he was like, "We can't do that." And I was like, "Oh," he's like, "Yeah, it's you know they wouldn't let you in here if you did that." Okay. And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's great." And so that level of specificity. Meant yeah. a lot to me, and even though it kind of countered a choice I had made, it uh, it was coming from a more informed idea and experience, and so I mean mm-hmm. that's what you want to do is represent to the best of your ability. So yeah, I think those details go a long way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and especially in episode six uh, when we pull over Anne, John mm-hmm. and I, the the John was my partner. He played right. Norris, uh, he mm-hmm. was an incredible guy as well. We we would laugh because it's like oh, so we're the we're the terrible people. <laughs> um, but specifically for that episode, we had to pull over um, Anne, and there was a lot of procedure involved with how we would do this, how we would mm-hmm. drive the cruiser. Uh, and so getting to know all of the steps and all of the safety assurances was really interesting, especially coming from, you know, the boss himself. Yeah. So it was, it was immersive and hard and uh, kind of made the experience that much more fun because okay you know you, you've got your acting to do but then you've got your uh, all of the fundamentals of what it is of being a police officer so right right well you looked like you'd done it a hundred times so very <laughs> very good <laughs> we just didn't like that you were doing it as fans <laughs> oh yeah yes yes so I, I imagine that you learn all kinds of things in different roles what did you learn from playing officer leonard I'll speak to two points. I, I think kind of the procedure involved and just the specificity, like I had mentioned earlier, there mm-hmm. is just so much to the job with how to conduct yourself and how what the steps are to to um, to doing the best job you can. That mm-hmm. I guess I hadn't realized, and so uh, you know, working with Tim and 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 you know, just the writers, showrunner, that 
really brought to life just all of the specificity of what the, the police officers in our daily world go through. And so it was mm. a new appreciation and also an understanding of all of these details. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a very detail-oriented person and actor, so I really appreciated all of the, t- the small things that kind of came into focus once they started to break down what was involved. Yeah. And then kind of on the flip side of that is just kind of the, you know, the underbelly of, of you know, like, like most organizations that there are, corruption occurs at every level. And, you know, mm-hmm. what Leonard and Norris represented, you know, is unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, closer to, to real life than I think we'd, we'd, you know, like to imagine. And so just understanding what, what the ecosystem is that allows that type of scum essentially to thrive, mm-hmm. that was kind of enlightening. And I think the way that they, you know, the showrunners handled what that was like having the hard job of you know portraying the uh, the police police department in all of its dimension you know, showing the uh-huh. full spectrum um, yeah I was excited about that for for this uh, for this season especially the last season so sure okay very cool very cool well as everyone knows misogyny exists all over you know every industry in some shape or form, probably. What are some ways that you can advocate for your female colleagues in the filming industry? Sure. That's a great question too, Tracy. That's, um, <laughs> I think, you know, setting aside just being a good person. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that's, that's such a, a, a vague definition, but, you know, being, being, you know, a humanitarian, you know, mm-hmm. not being a jerk, mm-hmm. that those kind of, the, setting all of that aside and just assuming we should be doing that to begin with. Yeah. Uh, I found the thing that that resonates with me is is being a curious listener, listening to experiences and uh, you know decisions and ideas mm-hmm. coming from women in the within the industry. I mean, you know, across the board, not just in the industry, because I feel like that's not something we've been doing as as a gender and as a society. Okay. So you know, first and foremost, listening and then understanding when it's, you know, helpful to speak or act on behalf of, and also when mm-hmm. it's helpful to sit back and, you know, let, let the most informed person or persons uh, speak and spearhead and mm-hmm. support that. Uh, okay. I think the pitfall is, you know, you know, wanting to get out there and speak for women and, yeah. uh, you know, everything and understanding that that that's not necessarily the case at all. It's more about being a supportive uh, mm-hmm. partner in this scenario and so uh, you know listening curious listener mm-hmm. and then when called to action you know mm-hmm. uh, sincerely mean and 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 find intention behind what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, because only then will it you know I feel like that message and and the idea will will truly get across that sounds really good I like those ideas <laughs> sounds very good well speaking of an amazing lady Amy Aquino how much time did you get to spend getting to know her or, or, um, or with her at all on set? What was it like working with her? She is the most professional, funniest, and, <laughs> uh, and just crafty actors I think I've yeah. ever worked with. Uh, okay. She, I think she enjoyed the repartee that the writers had set up uh, mm-hmm. with, with the Norris and Leonard character, uh, with, with her Billets character. She certainly seemed to enjoy all of the fun digs. You know, we got to take at each other. And then in between setups, uh, she was, you know, really, really funny in a way uh-huh. that I didn't expect. Uh, yeah. Took, didn't take her too, didn't take herself too seriously. Right. Was always prepared. Has this ease about small talk. I know this sounds strange, but, you know, most people, yeah. small talk is just so surface. But with uh-huh. her, it always felt like there was an intention to what she was saying and what mm-hmm. she was asking. And, mm-hmm. uh, 
it just kind of went beyond what I expected, you know, the very limited times we met and interacted yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, I, I think overall, she's funnier, I think, than a lot of people will uh, That made we'll me realize. Yeah. yeah. We are, we are huge fans of her and her family. She, we went out to LA and she gave us a tour around set and we, we just met, we felt just like we made this great friend just in that one hour, you know, just that, that repertoire that, you know, you're talking about just like so comfortable and yes, so, so funny, but then, you know, she can turn on a dime and do the serious thing as that's what you guys are trained to do. But yeah, that simmering intensity was always so fun to, yeah. uh, to work with her because she's just such a, an intimidating actor on screen that, you know, you knew mm-hmm. you had to up your game in order to match what she was giving. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. So fun. Well, I mean, you were part of a pretty epic storyline. I don't know how much, if you had watched the show before or knew the history, but you know, she's been going through this ordeal, you know, for several seasons. So for fans to kind of see it come to fruition and, and she see justice served was just so rewarding to the fans. Did, did you realize what a big deal that was to the viewers? I, it's funny. I, I'd watched a couple of episodes with my mom. She's a huge fan. And uh-huh. then I had originally found the Michael Connolly books because they're similar yeah. to a series of books that I, I like a lot as well. Okay. And so I, I was kind of familiar with that just by proxy, but when the audition came up and I got the role. My mom, you know, just really went all in and started to tell me all okay. she, you know, she was personal Wikipedia fan page about uh, what awesome. was happening. And as she, soon as she found out it was with Phyllis, she, you know, we went down the rabbit hole of like, okay, and this is what, you know, this is what she's been struggling with. This is, and this is why this means so much. So I, you know, it, I think this is the first time my mom has been such an in-depth resource to something, uh, something pertaining to the acting and film television world. Oh, that's really cool. That's that's really yeah. cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about working in LA versus the Southeast. And you're from the Southeast, correct? I am. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay. <laughs> and so there's so much opportunity here now. Where do you find yourself working the most? And what are some of the notable differences in your opinion? Well, I'll, I'll say this kind of reaching back to a previous question. We shot mm-hmm. kind of coming out of, or not really, we shot still a bit in the middle of COVID, you know, mm-hmm. without vaccine. So that, that kind of, and this was the first project back that I had been on set during COVID. Okay. So all of the protocol and safety, which the producers did an incredible job with testing and keeping everybody safe and providing uh, the PPE that was necessary. And mm-hmm. you always want to show up to a job where you feel that your safety is insured. And mm-hmm. I think they did an incredible job. So props to the, the, the Bosch and Amazon uh, brass because they did uh, they went above and beyond to make sure mm-hmm. we were safe. But I feel mm-hmm. like that part largely informed this particular experience because okay. it was so yeah. different. But you know, it's it's like any set across the world. Um, it's it was you know friendly. It was uh, you could tell that that Bosch crew and cast was a family, mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of relationship. That it was efficient, well run. I mean, the the major difference is you know we were shooting. We shot some studio stuff, but we also were able to shoot exteriors and exteriors in LA are incredible because yeah. the, the weather is typically going to behave with what you need. Okay. Uh, whereas like in the South or, you know, um, across, you know, the Southeast, it's, it's always unpredictable. There's mm-hmm. hurricanes, rainstorms, monsoons, not that there's not that in LA, but it, it seems like the, this is such a nerdy film thing to say, but it's the, the light is so incredible in LA yeah. like the way the way that the sun is and it's positioned uh-huh. and in the valley 
just the elevation, the way for whatever reason, the light is always good and, you know, rises and sets in a really interesting way. And so that was cool. of note. And then also just the weather seemed to cooperate whenever it, yeah. uh, it needed to. And then also just like the storied Hollywood history of shooting something in Los yeah. Angeles, specifically in Hollywood. That was a, a real kick to, to know that yeah. you're walking, you know, these, these hollowed grounds of this industry that, you know, you've given so much of your life and art to. So there yeah. was a, that the romantic in me was excited about that because it was, you know, we're shooting at the Hollywood homicide, you know, right there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that <laughs> part, you know, was, you know, walking in the, in the shadows of some of these old Hollywood icons that, that part never got old. And yeah, you can't duplicate that. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. And then shooting in the South, it's a different experience in and of itself, but it, you know, same, same type of crew, same type of family. I feel like I've shot a majority of stuff in the Southeast. So I, I know a lot of the, the crew that works. Mm -hmm. So that kind of feels like a family in and of itself. Sure. So it's always great to get on set and see who you know. Uh, yeah. I've gotten to the point in my career where I'll show up on set and then, you know, at least three people I've worked with before, you know, yeah. that's always great because it's showing up and working in this industry is kind of like your first day is like the first day of school. You want to see who's in your class. And <laughs> when you, when you had an opportunity to work with people before, there's like a, a level of comfort. Uh, yeah. that comes versus showing up, you know, stone cold to a, sure. a new set. So you, you were clean shaven, you know, as the police officer, but you know, if those of us who've seen you in Sweet Magnolias and other productions, um, you've had the bearded look. So which one do you prefer personally? Okay. <laughs> so uh, this is, this is the lazy answer and it's, okay. uh, it speaks to my, you know, shaving every day is uh, cumbersome. I'll say sure. that it's, sure. it's really not a problem at all. <laughs> um, but being be bearded is just such a, you know, an easy way to kind of move okay. through space. You, you have less maintenance involved. And so okay. I feel like that will always be the easier, yeah. the easier choice just by, right. you know, mm -hmm. by virtue of, the, of you know, uh, one less step when you wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. But it's nice. The variance is always great. I, I always try to do something different when I uh, get uh, even for auditions to change up my look because it kind of helps me buy into it a little bit more if I okay. can look just a little bit different from how sure. I do in real life but I'd say preference probably the beard because I'm okay. lazy <laughs> hey, I mean it's easier that you can't you can't beat that so well you had on your Instagram um, I think maybe even yesterday this really cool Pontiac car like robin's egg blue gorgeous how long have you had this car what's the story there so it's a 1965 Pontiac Catalina four-door hardtop. Um, and it's my dad's car who, it was his car growing up, like as a kid. Uh, wow. His dad worked, my, my grandfather worked for GM in uh, okay. uh, one of their dealerships. And so they always drove uh, GM products. And so uh -huh. that was the first car that my dad ever owned was this Pontiac Catalina. And, you know, he got... Uh, like early 20s had to sell it for some reason or another. I think it was just to kind of make ends meet. And so years later, he went on the hunt. I said this was about 12 years ago. He okay. went on the hunt for that exact model, not mm -hmm. the exact car, but the exact sure. model. And he yeah. found it through an auction. Okay. Uh, not, uh, car, no, it was more like a, a car car finder, essentially. He, he, he contacted a guy who was able to lock one down for him and it needed some work. And so he got it uh, and we've been working on it on and off for the last eight years. And he passed away recently, about two weeks ago. And so um, it was in storage. And so the other day I went and, uh, you know, kind of tidied up and, and yeah. 
and did a little uh, a little maintenance to it and uh, got it running again. So it was, okay. it was special. I took okay. it to the car wash to to get it washed, and that's what you yeah, saw. Yeah, that's Instagram. what I saw. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's my dad's car. It's uh, it's original body, original paint, original engine, everything. Wow. Everything's still factory, and it <laughs> even to the point where it doesn't have air conditioning. So yeah. it is, uh, you know, in the south in the summer and humidity, it is a heater an oven yeah, to sit in that sure. thing so it's only got seat belts in the front seats it's uh okay but it it's incredible there's so much real estate to those cars at, yeah. at the front end you know it's so mm-hmm. big mm-hmm. it weighs it might even weigh a ton I know it doesn't weigh that much but oh, it yeah, is. I'm sure the doors are really heavy and everything yeah. there is a lot to navigate when you're driving that thing but it's great it's you know it's a piece of my dad that uh yeah I always have and uh and, you know, it's just like our, our time together doing that. I not only enjoyed, you know, spending time and hearing stories about him mm-hmm. uh, growing up with his car, but, you know, he was able to pass on uh, this, this love of, you know, refurbing and, uh, yeah. and fixing cars, um, old cars. And so, um, yeah, so it was great to get the car back to, to kind of get a piece of my dad back. So. Sure. Well, I'm so glad you have yeah. that, that connection to him. Yeah. It's really, yeah. it's really special. Well, I know that you recently wrapped on Sweet Magnolias. What are you working on next or where can fans see you next? Uh, let's see. So in I did a pilot uh, at the beginning of the year that's going to premiere in October on ABC. And the show is called Queens. Okay. Yeah, it's got all the social media open. So go go okay, like check Queens. It out. It's, it's going to be on ABC. Nice. Uh, and then I did a Netflix movie pre-pandemic that I believe is going to be released sometime this year. It's a, a vampire, uh, cosmopolitan vampire movie uh-huh. um, called Night Teeth. Okay. Uh, that should I did ADR for that recently, and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It oh, cool. comes from a team of really, really fun and inventive filmmakers, so I'm excited to see what they do with it. Very good. All right. Well, it seems yeah. like you stay busy. That's... Yeah. Yeah. And if people awesome. uh, want to reach back, I, I wrote and produced a movie a couple of years ago called Lost by You. Uh, we premiered okay. at the 2019 Tribeca Film Festival. And I believe they just put it on Amazon Prime to stream for free. Uh, oh, great. So that one's called, yeah, Lost by You. Okay, interested. and you wrote it. Did you act in it as well? Or? I did. I have a small role in that. Okay. But it's 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 about Cajun culture and what uh-huh. you know, it's a kind of the folklore and folk tales that we grow up with around this uh, around this area. So it's, yeah, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to do and to experience. I mean, the crew and the cast were all friends and essentially family. And we bootstrapped this production and, you know, took it much further than I think anybody ever expected that worked on the movie. So wow, it, it's very cool. It's, yeah, it was a lot Check of fun. That out. Well, thank you so much for going through all these questions and helping us learn more about you and your work and the role on Bosch. That was a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tracy. I appreciate what, you know, inviting me to, to the podcast to talk about the experience, but also, you know, for giving people who, who want a supplemental resource and insight, uh, yet yeah. avenue to explore that. So what you guys do with the show is, is really incredible. I always love, you know, without, 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 you know, this kind of feedback and interaction with the yeah. art that we create, it, it's not as engaging. And so what you do is equally as important as what I'd say filmmakers and television uh, creatives do. So thank you to you oh, and your team for creating welcome. an opportunity to- uh, we, we love TV and we love to take it that next step further. You know, let's explore it some more. It's uh, some of us are just real geeks about TV and that's cool. <laughs> so. Same, same here, Tracy. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for okay. what y'all do. 